Welcome to the Language of Ahava podcast, a podcast for families with young children. So what happens when a rabbi and an early childhood teacher walk into a podcast? I think it's going to be fun, and I'm sure it's going to be about connections. Hi, I'm Karen DeWister, and I'm the early childhood teacher. And I'm David Steinhardt. I'm the senior rabbi at B'nai Torah Congregation. Every conversation that I have with Karen is always fascinating and leads to new ideas. So joining together with Karen, making connections together is really what our goal is. I thank you because what the perspective that you bring to my world and my experiences from the Torah, from tradition, from community, um, from parenthood and grandfatherhood, it's all magnificent. So here comes our podcast. Uh, we'll be posting every other Friday just before Shabbat because we want to make these connections with you. And when you give a little ahava, you make this world a better place. I'm ready, Karen. Let's get going. Here we go. This is episode number 18. And we're calling it, It's a Mitzvah to be Happy. But is it possible? And even more, is that authentic? Should we pretend to be happy in front of our children? Always? Sometimes? Should we ask our children to be happy despite how they're feeling? Can we validate emotions and still strive for joy? And how can we laugh? when there is suffering in the world and even in each of her children's daily lives. I'm always surprised that so many Jewish questions and values are shaped by the principles and practices of emotional intelligence. And I think this is definitely one of those. It's not surprising though that Jewish questions are nuanced and layered and they do help us live in complicated worlds. So first, let me introduce my co-host and say hi to my co-host. Hello, Rabbi Steinhardt. Um, how's your week going? Hi, Karen. It's good to be with you. I don't know. The week is really, there's a shadow over the week because of Ukraine. So my work is my work, is my work and that has its own challenges and also uh, great rewards. But the, uh, the concern about the world only seems to grow as we've been moving forward. It is good news that uh, COVID is on the decline and hopefully that will continue. But even that, you know, we don't know. We've, we've seen this before. So to be honest, you know, this is, I, we, I am where I am. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, of course, always for the honesty and for the, you know, I tend to walk around with rose colored glasses and like, okay, turn on that, that joy button. But you remind us, and I do believe that this topic matters most on the days that it's the hardest, when the world is struggling, when our children are struggling, when our families are struggling. So, um, you know, this is getting ready for Purim too, is this idea of how do we fit the happiness in? How do we celebrate? And, and we do have those daily joys. So um, I'm, I can't wait to introduce our parents today. We have a dad of two daughters, a mom of two sons, and, and I'm going to in introduce Josh first. This is Josh Flick, who always brought joy, humor, and interesting novel perspectives to our family time classes. He's even giving up a daddy day at family time to be here with us. We'll make a special daddy day. But Josh, the reason that I wanted you especially to be part of this is because your circle of mo mom friends said to me, you won't believe what Josh does on a daily basis with his Jewish practice. 
And so I want to bring together those the Jewish rituals, traditions, and the day-to-day parenting. So tell us about your family and then how you that story that you shared with me about how you got into this daily Absolutely. practice. Please. Yeah, so, welcome, welcome. So as everyone knows on the call, um, father of two daughters, uh, Raquel and Esty. Um, biggest joy in my life. Uh, I've played sports. I've, you know, been in the business world for 15 years, closed as many deals as, you know, the next person. And, you know, having my daughters next to me at all times is just really brings, you know, a a huge smile and joy to my day. Um, I grew up in New York in the five towns in Cedarhurst. And some people might know, some people might not know, but um, it was a very... Jewish spirited town, um, anywhere from reformed conservative to Hasidic, um, you know, Jewish uh, uh, people, right? So um, when I was growing up, I went to Hebrew school. I went to um, I went to Israel to be bar mitzvahed, and on the high holidays, we would walk to temple. And while you know other kids were were leaving the synagogue and and playing around the temple and running around. My mother, who was a New York City teacher for 35 years, you know, cracked the whip and you have to stay in synagogue till 1130. Okay, so I, I did my time and I stayed till 1130. And when I moved down here to, to Florida um, in 2006, um, I kind of lost everything that I did growing up. And my mother would always say, go, go to the services at, you know, they live in Boca West. So go to the services in Boca West. And I was always by myself and it just didn't feel right to just go by myself. Um, so uh, three years ago, when, when my wife was pregnant with, um, with my first, Raquel, um, my family was going to Israel for my cousin's son's bar mitzvah. And we couldn't go because Sasha was, you know, getting ready to, to deliver Raquel. Um, and a family moved into my community and, and they were Hasidic. And I was walking the dogs one day and I, and I, was talking to Yossi and he's like, why don't you come over to my house? Since your family's in Israel, why don't you come over to my house and wrap the film? I said, okay, sure. So I wrapped the film in with him one morning and that morning became weekly and monthly. And then he said, all right, Josh, you're on your own. Um, we would, we would sit and wrap the film. We would also do kind of a Chabad study. And, and I kind of flourished in, you know, all of these things that I was dealing with when I was a kid, it kind of came back to me, right? So now every morning, um, I take about two to five minutes a day and, and I wrap the film. So I, I say, you know, the prayers, Rabbi, that, that you know, for, to, you know, for to fill in. And then I take another two minutes to say a prayer to myself, looking out the window towards Israel um, for my family. And, you know, the girls are going crazy in the morning and you know, sometimes Raquel will come up to me and she'll see me with my head down and my eyes closed and she'll grab my hand. And that's just my way of telling her, this is what I'm doing for you guys. Um, and I, you know, I, I miss days here and there, but that's, that's what I do on a daily basis. And you wouldn't think that, you know, um, I'm a big, big sports guy. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, I'm outgoing. And, you know, you might see me and say, that, that kid wraps the fill in, you know, it's, but um, I, I take it to the heart. It's something I, I do and I cherish um, for our religion, um, for being a father, for being a man of the household, because, um, you know, men are only allowed to, to wrap the fill in. Women don't have that responsibility. So um, I really take it upon myself to to 
do something right for them at the start of the day. Letting your girls see that. Um, and of course, being a parent and being filled by that to me is astounding. Rabbi, um, thank you. can I let you jump in here with a response or any questions you might have? Um, I do think that um, all of us, all of us need a practice. All of us need a ritual and people find their rituals, their practices in different places. The regularity of putting on tefillin every morning is, your, is the practice that connects you to something higher than yourself. You connect by doing it, you're connecting to like the, the whole, the history of the Jewish people because tefillin go back literally 2,500, 3,000 years as part of the practice and a response to, uh, to the presence of God in one's life. And so that's really, really quite beautiful. Thank you. And it's really wonderful that it, you know, it, it does give you meaning. One thing that I want to say about tefillin is that, um, do you have your marks, by the way? <laughs> I, I, I just, right before the call, I, I got finished. I don't have them, but. So one thing I can say is that there's a beautiful notion in the fact that we wear tefillin on our head and on our arm. And that is, it's a statement that we are physical beings. We do things with our strength and we're responsible to be responsive to a good world, to God's world with our hands. And also our thoughts have to be directed towards that which is meaningful, that which is goodly, that which is godly. So, you know, they say, as we say, kol hakavod, you know, good for you. And um, may it always bring you meaning. Yeah. And, and just to add, you know, another piece that I forgot to mention was my grandparents passed away when I, when I was early on. I, I think I was in first grade. And right before that, my grandma, she was knitting um, yarmulkes for uh, our family for when we were going to be bar mitzvah. So when I started doing this, I asked my mother, I said, do you have grandma's yarmulkes? And she said, actually, I do. And she made pink ones and she made blue ones. <laughs> And I just so happen to have pink and it, you know, it just brings on that other notion of, you know, my girls. So I wear that every day. And then um, my uncle hand beaded the collar of my, my talus. And it says, and on this day, God made Joshua great in the eyes of Israel. Nice. So I, I have that scripture from the Torah as well that, you know, it's, it, as you said, you know, meaningful and bringing us back to, you know, what, what really matters. So, so those are additional pieces that, that kind of get, got me to where I wanted to be with this whole kind of practice. So I just wanted to add that. And Josh, yeah, never mind. Ahead, I was going to talk about your pinky pot and I love it. For your girls one day. I, yeah. I think that was for the girls for sure. Yeah. Uh, it was. And, and I thank you for that perspective. Um, and Rabbi, the perspective of the tradition, because as we go through this topic today, I actually feel like, it is the purpose of the podcast to realize that so many ideas that we think of as contemporary and new are can be grounded in centuries of wisdom. And if we're lucky enough to have a connection to that, um, then that sense of belonging is bigger. But I think as we struggle with happiness and the challenges of our world, um, we do have to shift shift perspective. And um, one of the quotes I saw as I was reading to prepare for today, it said, you know, we can't always 
just choose to be happy or shake the sad out of ourselves. But we can make a choice to dance with the divine and maybe just make a choice to look for something that is outside of the perspective that we can get stuck in um, in short time. But let me introduce Rhiannon. Welcome, welcome. Thank you for, for listening and hanging out with us. This is Rhiannon Reichenbach, who is the mother of two sons, an educator, um, a master's in, in, in education, but I met her not through family time, but as she was exploring conscious parenting, and we'd have these great conversations in the hallway. So I know you bring choice and intentionality to your parenting, to your life. And so welcome to this conversation. Tell us about your family and what your initial thoughts are about this whole um, a mitzvah to be happy thought. Welcome, welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. And it's a pleasure to be in the company of, of this conversation and you all. Um, yeah, I have two sons, um, Declan and Raiden. And Declan is eight. He's in second grade. And Raiden is four. He's in uh, pre-K four. So he's a big fish in the little pond at uh, B'nai Torah, where you know he's been there for three years. And uh, prior to that, Declan was in early child care at Temple Beth Emmet out in Davie. So I, um, you know, as Karen mentioned, I am an educator. Uh, I was a teacher for over a decade before becoming a mom. Uh, I taught high school and university Spanish. So I have a linguistic approach to, um, you know, the areas of my life where I'm like, okay, hey, it, it matters to be successful here. So when I became a parent, uh, a lot of the language that was used in nursery rhymes and some of the language that, that I would hear used with children, I'm like, you know, those words stick. And, and it matters how we, you know, how we approach the, you know, teaching children to how, how I approach teaching my children morals and values and, and the things that I see as what are the life skills that as an adult are going to help them be, you know, well-adjusted and productive and, um, you know, give back to our community and, and see that that's important. And, I, I don't think it was an accident that I, um, that, that was my introduction to Judaism was, you know, my firstborn son is, is, you know, coming home from school saying, mommy, mommy, I made an afikomen. I, you know, this is the tradition and, 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 and I, you know, researched it and I'm like, okay, yes, let's help you become, um, you know, like you're coming home with joy from something that you're learning and let's, uh, that's a teachable moment when he's experiencing joy for something. So as these Jewish holidays and traditions would come home through my son and I would research them, I found the, the culture, because I do believe it's much more than a religion that, that, that Judaism is, is a true culture, um, as opportunities to, you know, kind of use that as a vehicle to talk about these morals and talk about these values. And so, um, you know, with, with Declan being eight years old and, and Raiden now being at, a, at another Jewish institution, I've had, I've had eight years of practicing these, uh, these traditions. And, 
integrating spiritual messages through them. Um, and I so from the yeah. emotional yeah. intelligence point of view, how do you handle happiness in your family with all mm. the other emotions that you're juggling around? Um, struggles, challenges, um, but just all those nuanced um, and your boys are older and have more verbal skills. Um, and when we get to Josh, it's, it's the, you know, they're a little bit younger, but um, so I, I, I want to talk about how we role model, how we teach. Um, go ahead, um, Rhiannon. Uh, many times an emotion for a child comes up as an expression or a sound or body language and um, using words like um, you seem, <clears throat> pardon me, you seem frustrated. You were hoping your brother would give you the toy, you know, getting them to breathe and uh, then use their own words. Um, as to, I was hoping, or it feels difficult, you know, not telling them what to feel, um, but kind of guiding them to feel their own feelings and have some vocabulary to describe what they're feeling. So we can, we can then, um, you know, progress into helping, um, and, and emotional intelligence is, it's so nuanced and I'm glad you use the word modeling. Right. So then when I feel frustrated, how do I use my words to work through getting to um, feeling better? And, and, and a great thing that, you know, Dr. Becky Bailey, um, she's a Ph.D. In, in clinical psychology, says children do not do what you say. They do what they see. Um, so I think that modeling is is important. and. Um, teaching vocabulary as a uh, emotional the vocabulary of emotions um, as a skill for children. Absolutely. Yeah. So I want to jump, jump in here, Rihanna. And I think that I love what you just said, and I, I love it on a couple different levels. The first is that in, for myself as a parent, uh, my kids are 41, 36 and 33 years old now. But I, I remember, um, first of all, we spoke to them a lot and we helped them develop language pretty early on. And I remember one time specifically when my 36-year-old daughter was very, very, and she might've been two or three, really upset with something and near tantrum status. I remember saying to her, use your words, tell me what you're feeling. And so she started to, and I, and I helped her with her words, not with her feelings, with her words. And it did create such a, a wonderful outlet for her. And she began to uh, become much more vocal and verbal about her feelings. So I, I know, Karen, you wanted to do this about happiness, but I ultimately don't think we can find real happiness unless we also give voice to sadness, to frustration, to anger, to those things, all of which lie inside of ourselves. And that's what, you know, that really is the part of the essence of emotional maturity. That is the ability to understand what we're feeling and then to respond uh, to from what we're feeling in ways that are helpful. 
in ways that are helpful to ourselves, in ways that are helpful to the people around us. So bringing a little bit of a rabbinic perspective to all of this, you know, this is a tradition that's based on the word. You've heard the expression in the beginning was the word. God created the entire universe with a word. And the development of our tradition through the age of the rabbis was done in conversation. People were, were uh, able to disagree with each other and disagree with themselves and take that disagreement to go towards further understanding. It's, so, uh, it's such a, um, uh, a part of our world that's missing right now, that ability to be in intelligent conversation with kind of critical knowledge and with, uh, with truth. And so I think it's really, you know, you are right. You know, you're, on, you're, you're doing it correctly. And especially, especially allowing little boys to express their feelings. That's really important. Not just to be, a, not just acting out, but allowing them to talk. I agree wholeheartedly, Rabbi. And, and, and I think it's that engagement, the connection that says, I hear you, see you and love you. Um, you know, we, we've been, we have dads at family time this week and we're playing the song, thank you, God. And there's a verse in there that says, thank you for my mommy. Thank you for my dad. They love me when I'm happy. They love me when I'm sad. And my opinion is that when you are a little person, it's like where the wild things are, you can feel left out into the wild when you are having, getting in that tantrum in that maelstrom, you know, that it's just when you're sad, you don't feel connected, you feel isolated and alone. And so that's the first, you know, what I think, um, and, and I don't have to be obsessed with the happiness. It's, it was just that mitzvah that throws me, but that the connection and the validation and being seen can help us move towards um, a higher brain, a higher connection and, and, and personal responsibility to then move out of where we get stuck in those emotional places. Um, you know, when you spoke about the mitzvah of being happy, uh, let me address that in two okay, different Okay, good, ways. please. So I one need, is, you one know, is I need the, you the, fixing it. <laughs> one, is, one is the Hasidim had, have, had this notion. They even have a beautiful song. Mitzvah gedola liyot besimcha. It's a great mitzvah to be happy, to be joyful. And in fact, that whole movement began in the 17th century in Europe as a reaction to the very kind of harsh, um, legalistic, uh, uh, ritualistic part of Judaism, which didn't express a lot of joy. So it and was they rebellious. Were saying, yeah, what's that? It was rebellious. So, and they were saying, you know, look, we can be Jewish and we can sing and we can dance and we can laugh. And that's an important part of, of expressing ourselves. And that is, I mean, I, I sense that what we need in the world or what we need in our lives is balance. I sense that what we need in our lives is truth, truthfulness. Yet our tradition does, does provide or has moments where we're actually obligated to be happy. Obligating one to be happy is like obligating one commanding one to love. It's really, it feels like it's something that comes more from our heart. And yet this is what I know. So we're commanded to be happy on Zman Simchatenu, which is the holiday of Sukkot. So how, how do we become happy on Sukkot? I'll talk about it in a few different ways. One way is we realize 
what we are, what we have. We give appreciation for it. We give over to the universe. We give over to God, ultimate, our ultimate sense of security, but take advantage of what we feel at this moment. The second is that we make sure we eat and we drink and we, we celebrate the holiday with, with gratitude and with those things that simply make us feel good. And so we do have a time of joy, a time of happiness. And it does, you know, these certain types of practices do make us happy. And when we enter into them with regularity, we do, we do feel happy. But nothing can make us happier than being in relationships that are fulfilling. That is really what it's about. Uh, Josh, as a dad, um, how do you, how do, and, and, and I'll bring it back to Rihanna too, and Rabbi too, because it's at what point, it, it's the juggle between authenticity and other-centeredness, where how often do you have to be happy or outside of yourself Patience. for I your think, children? I think, I think, you know, what I learned, most, you know, being a parent for, and it's only been, you know, three, three and a half years is patience. Um, they're only three years old. They're only two years old. They're only one years old. They don't know what you know, right? Um, going back to, you know, being visual and, and linguistic, um, when, when I have issues in the house with my daughters trying to get their words out or, you know, my one daughter trying to get her words out, use your words, slow down tell me, you know, with, with my littlest one, show me, you know, she'll point and show me, take me to where you want it, you know, what you need or what you want. Um, but I'm a, I'm a pretty positive guy. Um, and, and I try, um, as we all do not to be so stressed out. Um, and I, and I try to show that to them. So, so they see, you know, in certain situations that, you can, you can be, you know, frustrated, but you don't have to go crazy and you count to 10 and slow down and go back to playing. And, and, you know, the biggest thing for me is I keep my daughters as busy as possible. Um, I think the busier they are, the happier they are, the more activities they're doing, you know, they're around their friends and, and that's what, you know, I try to do. Um, they're busy girls. I mean, temperamentally, those they yes. are not girls who who sit quietly. Um, that they, they yeah. are that matches who they are because they're a whole lot like you too. Yes, very <laughs> much like me. Um, I was always on the go. I was always playing sports. Um, like I said earlier, my mother was an educator for many years, and I wasn't the best um, the best kid in, in the class. Um, so for me, being in sports and having that distraction was where I needed to be. Um, and, and with them, I kind of see those similarities and I try to, um, I try to do those activities with them, whether it's swimming, horseback riding, gymnastics, soccer, you know, just getting them going and, and be, having them outside and, and having those social experiences with their friends. Um, I think that's, that's the way, you know, they'll, they'll kind of learn seeing friends, seeing us, seeing you guys in the classroom, um, I really think that that really helps. And it's more than distraction. It's engagement as yes. um, the way I like to look at the difference between, um, you know, just sh keep them busy, keep them happy. It's really just like keep them connected. 
And Rhiannon, I'm going to give that back to you because you had said something to me in our pre-conversation about um, not that it's about happiness, but that it's about choosing being present. Yeah, I think, you know, as a parent, we can want to be a fixer. You know, oh, there's a negative emotion happening. How can I help fix that emotion so that my child feels on the on the positive side of the spectrum of emotions. And so sometimes instead of being a fixer, allow the child to be a feeler. You know, when my four-year-old who is often trying to keep up with big brother and he's just, I mean, there's just, he's just younger, you know, and there's not anything less than about him being younger. Sometimes he will say, mommy, I just, I just feel like I need to cry. And I say, okay, that's okay. You cry, cry and give him a space to cry and kind of validate that having a negative emotion is part of the human experience. We're supposed to feel, you know, frustrated and sad and also joyous and happy and excited. Those are all part of the human experience. And my, my, you know, my goal with that is that, okay, when you get into adulthood, um, when you have a negative emotion, there won't be this urge to stuff your feelings with negative behaviors. You know, there's overeating, there's overspending, unfortunately, dissociation through drug use and abuse and, and alcoholism. And we see these um, epidemics throughout the world of um, where people aren't loving their own bodies and their own selves. And I, I, I see that occurring when we've got this, you know, there, we have a spectrum of emotions and that's okay. We're, that, that's okay. So. And that not only us fixing others, but us realizing that holding all emotions, um, you describe them on a continuum, but we know we as a culture name that continuum as the good side and the bad side. And, and our awareness, you know, there's that cliche, you're only as happy as your least happy child. Um, it's true. Your parents feel it for you. You know, a teacher feels it in a classroom where something's not working. But to, the only way to get, and Rabbi, you used this, this as a, in one of our podcasts a long time ago, is the only way to get to equilibrium, the only way to get to wholeness is to, is to go through whatever that moment is, um, to cry the tears, um, or to know that sadness and peace, joy, and maybe not frustration, but often we've got contradictory emotions going, rattling around in us at the same time. And when you're a little person, that's really hard. Like, um, you know, falling and being proud that I've run this fast, you know, like want to be happy. And I, it, it's, I mean, in children, I love seeing it all and then trying to hold even the contradictory ones. Um, but I do love, whether it's a community, a Jewish tradition, or a family, or classroom that um, that I always need to hold a light of joy 
a sparkle somewhere just to reorient. And as Rabbi said, it comes from gratitude. It comes from, you know, when you're a grown up and, 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 you know, I think Josh described it, you know, you see those girls and, and everybody's saying it in family time this week, like I could have the hardest day, but when my child smiles at me coming home or when my child greets me in the morning, you know, it is, oh yeah, through their eyes, is that joy? Is that being present? And so I, ju- I think I just want the reminder in this podcast, not to be Pollyanna, but to be in the difficult times, we need our children um, to remind us and we need to be there for them to say it's okay um, to not be okay sometimes. Um, Rabbi? just wondering if you're gonna have to do the next podcast on happiness (laughs) (laughs) didn't we do it (laughs) no i think we did it but i think i i certainly think that josh and rihanna you know they they're reflecting on the fact that you know to get to that place there has to be kind of a a type of coaching in in your parenting that allows people to go allows our children to go through hard difficult times to give voice to that, obviously. And yet, you know, in terms of, in terms of all the frustrations we feel as parents, you know, as adults in this world, I do think also it's like really important that we're able to, you know, protect our kids from some of that and a lot of that and to make, you know, to make the environment happy for them. And that you do through the structure you give them and that you do through the particular activities and, and through the hugs and the kisses and ice cream and, you know, all these, all these other things. Yeah. And what comes to my mind, and again, because it's, I mean, is the room for play and whether you're a grown up or whether you're a child, that's the spontaneity, that's the moment and play can be good guys and bad guys. It can be scary dinosaurs. It can be glitter. It can, it, it's all play for me holds it all. Um, but, and, and I'm going to throw out the joke um, because I, it's how we define happiness. And, and I do want you guys to get ready for your wrap up here, which is how you balance happiness and emotions, how you balance being a role model through dark and light. Um, and, and I think for me, it's, we don't want to shake the sadness out of them or say, as my family did, if you need something to really cry about, I'll, you know, like we weren't allowed to be happy in past, unhappy in past generations. Um, you had, and so we want that expressiveness, but, um, as Rhiannon sort of insinuated, it's not just the ice cream or for the grown-ups. The obligation isn't to pretend or to fix it for ourselves. The joke on the playground here on the on the parking lot when I invited Josh um, and another group of parents that were out there is grab the gummy bears. And we know you need the gummy. Sometimes you need a break, whether it's a glass of wine or a legal medicinal thing in Florida. Um, we're it's but the quick fixes um, is a is is putting pressure on ourselves to be something for our children that they don't need from us. They need us to connect, to be real, but I believe to still hold space for joy, for, for laughter. Uh, And we all know, I mean, funerals 
have some of the best laughter anywhere. But anyway, so it's all those contradictions, but that's enough for me. Let me, let me turn it over to all of you and I'll give Rabbi the final, but Josh, the, the, the wanting to be happy, but holding real life for yourself and for your family. Um, what's your summary on all of this? I think, you know, everyone has those days where it's not going to be perfect. And um, you could be fighting with, with your mother or father. You could be fighting with your significant other. You can be on the phone talking to a friend, fighting or frustrating, and, and your kids can see that and, and they sense you know, that something's wrong. And, and it's, you know, telling them that even though that you're having these kind of like little bouts, it's okay. It's, it's, it's all right. And, and you see that like, uh, you know, my daughter's with, you know, one has a Barbie that the other one wants and it's okay. Well take the other one, you know, it, it's okay. And we could share and we could come to a compromise to say, all right, things are going to be okay. Even, you know, at times of, stress, frustration, sadness. Um, it's just, yeah. And, and how we do it. You know, Rabbi said it, the obligation to be happy is like the obligation to be loved. You can't do it. But can we make choices not to change what's inside, but to, to choose to look or to, or to act in love? But first. I think we also, you know, with, with the children being in the, these early development classes, I think we learned stuff from you guys, the educators too. Cause you know, I remember one time when we were in class and, and you, you said to me specifically, like talk her through it. Don't just, you know, take it away or give another, you know, talk her through that process. And you know, that I think those are good lessons that we could also, you know, learn from others where, you know, in this day and age, it's my way or the highway, or I'm going to be as defensive as possible. It's, it's okay to, for somebody to give you constructive criticism and be okay with it. It's, it's, it's how we grow as people. It's how we grow in business. It's, it's just part of life. We're all learning together for sure. Yeah. Thanks. Rihanna. Yeah. Well, I think the answer to your, to your question is yes, Karen. And that question was, you know, it's a mitzvah to be happy. And as we come into this time of Purim, which is a, as I understand, it's a, it's a festival. It's a celebration. The children wear costumes that are happy, like go to this, to this space and, and celebrate and be joyous. And, and yes, that absolutely can be authentic, even in times as rabbi has mentioned of, you know, the, the difficult things going on in, in Ukraine. Um, and the way we get that to be authentic is to be present. You know, you're there, you see the colors and the lights and the joy and the allow, allow that joy in, share that joy, be, find a way to be present with happiness. And I think, and I think that's really the mitzvah. That's really the commandment is that, you know, find that way to, to connect with joy because that is part of the human, the, the human experience as well. We, we do have that um, in, in, in being present. So thank you for inviting me. I, I, you know, I love and respect both of you enormously as people and as parents, all three of you. Rabbi, uh, give us your final words on well, this, please. As usual, uh, Karen, but I would say Rhiannon and uh, Josh, I really enjoyed the conversation. You guys have a lot, a lot to offer. 
um, both in, in, in your own personal lives, but a lot to offer to other people too. So I thanks, thank you for part, your participation and for your insight. And it was, it was pretty profound, your insight, I think. Um, I'll say two things. Uh, both, you know, like from my own, you know, vantage point, not as a, not as a father, but as a or grandfather, but as a, um, as a rabbi, also maybe has to do with what I encourage my own kids. And that is that um, we understand that we don't live life alone and that we need to be with others. You know, we need to be with family. We need to be with community. There's this really beautiful notion that when you experience a happiness, a joy, you know, success, when it's shared with other people, it becomes even that much greater. So like you don't do Shabbat alone, you do Shabbat with, with a family, with a community. And so it's so important, I think, for our happiness to be in community. And by the way, if something bad happens, if we experience a loss, for example, being community is also really helpful because it lessens the burden of grief, it does. So it doubles our happiness, it halves our, our sadness. So that's one thing. The other thing, I just wanna add this little thing. I once learned this from a biblical archeologist he talked about a stele that was found in Egypt that refer, that used the word in it, uh, simcha, which means happiness, as we all know, but in a very different context in, that, in an ancient Near Eastern uh, language. And that was simcha referred to the um, fulfillment of a contract. And so if you think about, if, if our word comes from that simcha, then what we know is that our happiness ultimately comes from our fulfillment. And we gain fulfillment in lots of very different ways. I don't have to mention them, but we all know how we can feel most fulfilled. So I wish you all, you know, like fulfillment in your lives and uh, with all the challenges of parenting. And they're great, you know, know that both you're going to make mistakes, but by and large, you're going to do the best you can. And that's going to make a big difference to your children. And I look forward to spending more time together and getting to know each of you more as we move forward. Thank you all. And Shabbat Shalom, everyone. You when you give shalom. a little ahava. Shabbat Shalom, y'all. Shabbat Thanks Shalom. Again. Thank you so much for listening today, for being part of this moment, for being part of these ahava connections, and for trying to give a little ahava to one another. Thank you to my co-host, Rabbi David Steinhardt, for always adding timeless wisdom and a meaningful connection to our world and to this podcast. Thank you, B'nai Torah Congregation, for being our community of support and a place to share with one another. You hold us together in a world that is too often pulling us apart. Thank you to Cantor Magda Fishman for your voice, your whistling, your song, and the soul that you bring to everything you do. If you don't know Cantor Fishman, please check her out at B'nai Torah Services. You will be transformed and inspired. Finally, thank you to the Jewish Federation of South Palm Beach County for helping to fund this Ahava podcast and Ahava Nature Shabbat. And to our Ahava Malahim, our angels, the families who also help underwrite these Ahava projects. For more information about B'nai Torah Congregation, the website is btcboca.org. You can also find me, Karen Deerwester, at FamilyTimeInc.com. Until next time, Shabbat Shalom, and give a little Ahava. Take care. 
When you give a little love, you'll see You'll make this world a better place A much better place to be When you give a little ahava When you give a little love, you'll see You'll make this world a better place A much better place to be You'll make this world a better place A much better place to be